This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The NBA playoffs are here, and we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even the speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch. Because this is the turn it up to 11 NBA playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. This is Instant Genius. A bite-sized masterclass in podcast form. I'm Alex Hughes, a staff writer for BBC Science Focus magazine. And today we're diving into the idea of awe. Great mountains, beautiful movies, and moments to appreciate life in all of its glory. These are all experiences that make us feel a sense of awe. What is happening in our brains in these moments? How has it changed through history? And can you cultivate awe in your own life? We spoke to Daka Keltner to find out. He's a psychology professor and the author of the book Awe, The New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life, out in paperback on January 2nd, 2024. He takes us through a deep dive of awe, teaching usable tricks and important information on one of life's most important emotions. So, like a lot of emotions, awe has this almost mystical feeling, you know, something that it can't be pinned down. And I'd love to hear how you personally describe the concept. Yeah, you know, emotions are hard to capture with words, as the Irish philosopher Edmund Burke said, you know, that words are often misleading guides to understanding our interior experience. And awe is at the top of that list. It's, you know, it's experience often when you feel it intensively. It, it seems to be beyond words, it's mysterious, you can't quite make sense of it. But it's really actually kind of ironic that, you know, as the science awe has evolved, we've learned a lot of ways to describe and measure it. So I define awe as an emotion that we feel when we encounter vast things that are beyond our current knowledge structures. You see vast trees, or you hear a vast sound in a cathedral, or you encounter a vast idea. So it's, it's really when we encounter vast mysteries and, you know, we can understand awe through that definition. We can understand awe through the sensations that it produces, which are interesting to study scientifically. Tears, the warmth in the chest, which is the activation of the vagus nerve that I study in my lab. 
the chills, which is a particular kind of response of muscles contracting around hair follicles. So we have really, although, you know, many like William James and others felt that awe was ultimately ineffable, I think we can describe it and study it and learn about it. You, you touched on it a little bit there. What, what is it that we're actually experiencing? What's going on inside our brains and our body when we experience these moments of awe? Critical to understanding an emotion is what the f- philosophers call the intentional object of the emotion. What is it about, right? And our research has found that this unfolding of awe, of you encounter something that's vast and mysterious in nature, or the extraordinary kindness of somebody will often trigger awe, which I call moral beauty or spirituality or music, what happens as it moves through your body, this wave of emotion is, very interestingly, it deactivates the default mode network in the brain, big chunks of cortex that are involved in self-representation. And this is a physiological correlative, you know, the sense that your ego is dissolving during awe, you feel small and humble. It moves into the vagus nerve, this big bundle of nerves that wanders through your chest and down into your gut, which when it's activated tends to enable you to connect to other people, which is part of awe. You feel the boundaries between self and other dissolve and you feel part of something large. Very interestingly, there are a couple of studies showing it activates oxytocin release, a little chemical produced in the hypothalamus and oxytocin enables cooperation and sharing and, and experiences of awe produce what William James called these saintly tendencies. Like, man, I'm so overwhelmed by this piece of music, right? I've got goosebumps. And then as the emotion unfolds, you want to give, you want to be part of a community. So awe, what is it about? It really starts in the sense that the self dissolves. You're no longer worried about the daily concerns of the self. It then sort of merges into the sense of like, I'm part of something larger, be it a community a history, an ecosystem, and then it produces these tendencies to be kind and cooperate, which are important to human evolution. And I, I feel like much like uh, other, what I I guess you would describe as positive emotions, you know, this idea of being happy or excited or calm, are there some health benefits of, you know, being in these states of awe? I mean, this is one of the most surprising lines of work uh, and sets of discoveries in the study of awe recently is its health benefits. We know intuitively, like if you go walking on one of the great trails in the Lake District in England, right? You come out of it and you're like, I feel stronger, I feel healthier, you know, I feel better about life. Ralph Waldo Emerson, the great American writer said, you know, there's nothing that nature cannot repair through awe. And indeed, experiences of awe through music or nature or encountering other people's courage, the moral beauty domain of awe, They are associated with better cardiovascular function, reduced inflammation in the immune system. The immune system heats up the body to fight pathogens when it's chronically activated. It's bad news for the body. Awe cools down that response. There are new intervention studies of awe showing little moments of awe help you feel less depression during the COVID pandemic, less anxiety even less pain. We did a study of elderly individuals who did an awe walk once a week, and they came out of that study feeling less physical pain, which is a huge condition uh, of the elderly. So, you know, this is why medical institutions are getting very interested in how do we give this away, right? It's almost a prescription for health. 
you just you were mentioning just there about the idea of an ore walk. Uh, could you go go into that a bit uh, a little bit more? Yeah, you know this this came out of uh, in some sense the great tradition of walking that emerges in you know it's a human tendency to walk. We are a wandering itinerant species. You know we came out of Africa and walked to all the continents, but more recently, you know the great European traditions of walking that begin with you know, 18th century and the ascent of Mont Blanc and then Europe goes crazy and everybody's walking and the, you know, the British have some of the great walking trails in the world that Rebecca Solnit, the author, writes about brilliantly in her book about walking. And so, you know, I've loved backpacking and walking and I was like, you know, there's just something magical about it. Maybe we could design a, just a way to walk once a week that has a bit of awe in it, right? And so Virginia Sturm and I, who's, she's a neuroscientist, had people who are 75 years old or older. And that's a very interesting age because at that age, 75 years old, you start to feel more depression and anxiety because you see people die and people love people you love. And so once a week, Alex, they go out and we just ask them like, on your regular walk, like go someplace that's a little mysterious, that is fills you with a childlike sense of wonder, you know? And then as you're there, like pause, breathe a bit and just let your mind put away your checklist and your phone and just let your mind wander and look for things that are vast like the you know the sky and small leaves on a tree and that those clues are ways that we can access awe and our seven after eight weeks of doing this once a week our elderly participants as i said they felt more joy more kindness and less physical pain which i think is you know, it's a multi-billion dollar problem in the healthcare system in the United States. So that's what's wonderful about awe is you can add it to almost anything. You know, you can be listening to a piece of music and you just say, okay, just for a moment, I'm really going to listen to where this, the mysterious sounds go and what it reminds me of in my own life. And suddenly you're, you're tearing up a little. And, and that's the power of awe is to find it in anything. You were touching on there a little bit, which is a question that I, I want to ask. Is it something that I guess you can you can cultivate, or does awe tend to be this feeling that just happens naturally? It's out of your control. You know, I mean, in some sense, this is why we do science. You know, Alex, when I started this research 15 years ago, I had a couple of misconceptions about awe. And one was that it's it's really just about nature and religion. You know, I'd read a lot of spiritual writings, and then there are the great environmentalist writings. You know, Britain has some of the, the greatest traditions in, in those areas. And I thought, oh, this is a religious and natural emotion. And in fact, the central source of awe around the world, you know, we've studied about 30 countries, is other people. You know, just their courage, how they overcome things, overcome poverty, show their character and their virtue. And moving with other people, you're at a you know, at an Arsenal football game and you start doing the cheers and suddenly you're like, this is transcendent, you know? So other people was a surprise to us. And then the other big surprise was, you know, if you ask people like, tell me about your life of awe. And they'll be like, oh, well, let's see. 12 years ago, I, I went to the Alps. And in actuality, people feel awe very regularly, uh, two to three times a week. And, and you can cultivate it, even though it washes over you, the emotion in some sense, spontaneously, you can find contexts and mindsets to feel awe. So one thing to do is just take a few minutes once a week, 
find a place that might bring you awe, a garden or sunset or listening to a piece of music, just pause and breathe and open your mind and just follow the patterns of music, look for the patterns of light in the sky, etc. And you'll start to feel the emotion very often. And we've tested that. And then, you know, the other thing I write about is, you know, awe is a companion to some of our most human creations, music, visual design, ideas, spiritual practice, nature, other people's actions. And so just go search, you know, go seek it out, go to museums, et cetera. So, and, and this is coming, there's work in China, there's work in the United States, this is coming to hospitals, just awe interventions where we just remind ourselves, watch the BBC Earth once a week, right? That's one of our primary ways we get people to feel awe and you're like, wow. So it's, it's much more around us than you might imagine. And you've been touching on uh, ideas of religion and the environment, all of these different areas where it can be found. Obviously, you know, life is more online than ever now. And with it, we have these, I guess, these moments that should be considered or inspiring put in front of our eyes just constantly one after the other, you know, and often it's with the aim to make you feel something. Does, is that an overstimulation of your idea of awe? Does it reduce your ability to experience it? Or is it just more adding more awe to your daily life? You know, Alex, I think that's one of the deepest unanswered questions in this field is through the study of awe. You know, it's interesting. We surveyed people from 26 countries around the world. And this is India, Mexico, Brazil, Poland, West Germany, New Zealand, all over the place. We, we just had them write stories of awe, and not a single story featured an experience in technology, right? And that's really striking, that there were films, if you call that technology, I'd call it art, and there was music, but no one mentioned, you know, Facebook and a Google search and their smartphone. And I think that tells us something really important, that you got to be, it has to be a direct experience and not mediated. And then I think the real concern here is six to eight hours a day we're looking at a smartphone especially young people that's a small screen it's coming at you fast and fragmented and i think it's a foil of our adversary of all frankly and our data bear that out so it's a real challenge you know that i think technology faces which is these new platforms like how do you if you want to enhance people's lives and we know awe you know, a lot of what is out there in the digital universe can bring us all new art, new music, new political ideas. But how do we deliver it to people through technology devices that bring us on? And it's a real, I worry about it. I really do. It could, like you say, commodify it, reduce it, overstimulate it. Uh, and that's worrisome. So you'll know better than anyone probably in the world right now that there's a long history of this word. You know, we talk about the idea of something being awe inspiring as something amazing, it's exciting, it's happy, but it, its origins are in this idea of terror or dread or fear. And I, I'm, I'm curious, uh, at least in your eyes, how we've got from that idea to something that's positive and happy and, you know, uh, uh, this beautiful feeling. That's one of the great questions in the science of emotion, you know, which I've been part of for a couple of decades, which is we have these words and then they have connotations in this sort of semantic space of what the emotion might mean conceptually. 
And then there's our actual experience of the emotion, right? And, and those are distinct things and often only map onto each other somewhat. And, and it really is true in the case of awe, which is the awe emerges etymologically in the 8th and ninth centuries in Old English and Old Norse and Old English. And it really referred to fear and dread and terror. And then that was the concept that was grappled with by Edmund Burke, who wrote very importantly about awe and Immanuel Kant in the 18th century. And, you know, I think now when scientists like myself study awe, about three quarters of the time, it's really a positive experience. You feel joyful and enthusiastic and free and creative, all empirical findings. So what happened, right? How did it change? And I think, I think a big part of it is just the improving human conditions, which is, you know, back in the eighth and ninth century, when people were using the word awe, there were plagues ripping through villages and a quarter of babies died before the age of two. Average life expectancy was 40, 45. There was a lot of famine and, you know, destruction. And so the things that were really vast at that time and inexplicable were horrifying. And medicine comes in and the concept of the law and, you know, the idea that we shouldn't torture people, <laughs> which was commonplace. And I think, you know, what has become vast and mysterious has changed. You know, our, our ideas about nature have changed and it's more positive. It's interesting though, Alex, you know, today, people your age or younger, I've noticed their feelings of awe about nature are now colored with a sense of dread, right? Climate crises, the Amazon is burning, we're destroying coral reefs. So this is the nature of human emotion. It's always changing with history and the concept of awe is always in flux. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA Playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. And obviously, as you're saying there, you know, the idea of what's awe-inspiring in the 1800s is different to what's awe-inspiring today. But I'm, I'm curious if there's, I guess, a difference in what, people consider to be or inspiring across the world you know does culture come into this what's or inspiring in religious communities in america i assume is very very different to japan or to the outbacks of australia yeah you know deep question and the way we approach it we actually have been you know looking at those stories of awe from 26 cultures you see first of all just differences in the content right that of awe that what this natural awe where I live in Berkeley, California is redwood trees and the ocean. And then you go to other parts of the world and it's deserts and big bright skies, right? And so that's different. 
And, and that's consequential. We found a really interesting difference, which is that in East Asian cultures, and this is very fitting with the East Asian sense of self and community, they find more awe in social experiences, great teachers, watching a violinist, right? A swimmer going to the Olympics, kind of exceptional human performance. And in the West, it's more tilted towards nature. And I think that flows out of what we've talked about, of the great walking traditions and mountaineering and backpacking and the like. And this one's really interesting, which is that in more religious cultures, and this will make sense, right? And also more economically unequal cultures where there's greater economic inequality and the hierarchies are more clear, awe becomes more fearful uh, in those cultures. You might feel awe and then fear the judgment of God. You might be in a, a culture where there's really well-demarcated socioeconomic status differences and the awe starts to have this sense of fear or peril. And that's striking, right? It changes the effects of awe. So culture is always at play in the construction of emotion and deeply so in the case of awe. And there's this idea in, I guess, not just the field of awe, but generally in emotion of um, the Stendhal syndrome, you know, where people experience these, I guess, psychosomatic symptoms when they're exposed to objects of great beauty or, you know, in this case, or at its highest level. Uh, is that just almost like too much awe? You know, it's an overload of it. Yeah. <laughs> One of the fascinating things about studying human emotion is that we are, individual variation is profound in humans. You know, it's just how evolution emerged and shaped us. And this is true of all the emotions, right? There are people who don't feel awe, maybe 1% of the population. And then there's a, a sector of people who feel a lot of awe, right? Intense awe. And, and they're striking. They tend to have these rushes of the, the physiology of awe that we've talked about, of tearing up a lot and goosebumps a lot, uncontrollable goosebumps, you know, just hitting them at different times. And they tend to have, I might want to say, an oceanic relationship to the world that's a little bit more spiritual or cosmic you know, where the boundaries between self and other aren't as clear. And that's all shaping a person's life in the extremes, right? So we always are interested in the extremes of emotion to learn about why we have these states. And talking about, I guess, extreme emotions, is there, is there I guess, an opposition to all? I'm sure you've heard of this concept of, you know, the Paris syndrome where people visit Paris and then they're just let down by it not being the city they were expecting. Is there something that's just the polar opposite? Yeah, you know, it's so informative to ask that question. Like if awe is about vast mystery and myself dissolves and I feel like I'm part of something larger than myself. You know, Jane Goodall felt that chimpanzees felt awe. And she said, it's really the beginning of their feelings of awe or spirituality and just being amazed at things outside of the self. So that's awe. Well, what's its opposite? And, you know, one possibility is horror, where you are encountering vast things, right? Images of the Holocaust, right? Wow, so many dead bodies, but it's about destruction. Uh, and, and we move toward horror, as opposed to awe, fundamentally, I think, is about life. It's about this is what's generating meaning in life. So that's one candidate. I taught a bunch of teenagers recently, and a student I think 
offered a just as compelling an answer. Was he said, you know, it's boredom. You know, it's just like when you're sitting there, very fitting for a teenager. And he's like, it, it's just like it's the absence of meaning, the absence of things that are vast that you can connect to. So those would be two candidates, boredom, and even more, you know, sort of a sense of anomie, like purposelessness, like I'm adrift, I'm alienated. And then horror is another good candidate to think about. And talking about, again, extreme emotions, boredom, horror, or all of these different things, there tends to be, or at least, you know, it's often spoken about this idea of, you know, basic emotions, the ones where we all know and experience regularly the sadness, happiness, fear, surprise, you know, very inside out kind of thing. Where does awe fit into all of this? Is is it a combination of these things or is it its own entire thing separate from the basics? Thank you for asking that question because that's defined about 25 years of my career and nobody really pays attention to it. So, but I really, <laughs> you know, the, there's this great trajectory in the science of emotion that awe is part of, which begins with Darwin, really, and Aristotle in some sense and other early writers. And, and Darwin lays out, you know, hey, there are these 53 emotions that are part of mammalian evolution, human evolution, writes brilliantly about emotions across species. And then along comes Paul Ekman, you know, famous psychologist in the U.S. who studies the face. And he says, well, there are these basic core emotions that are irreducible. They're part of evolution. And they have a distinct expression, distinct meaning, which we've been talking about, distinct physiology, and then a distinct experience, a feeling state. And I would, you know, we have spent, I've really spent 20 years working from that approach. And in our latest work, and this is really the work of Alan Cowan, who has remarkable visualizations of our research, you can make a case for 20 different emotions as being basic. That when we hear music in China or the US or the UK or Brazil or Mexico, people will say like, that kind of music makes me feel awe. There's a vocalization of all like, whoa, right? That you is a universal. There are physiological correlates of all we've talked about. And even Jane Goodall and new scientists studying non-human emotion or emotion other social mammals are starting to say, maybe there are these precursors of awe in mammalian behavior. So it's a basic emotion. And, you know, it's so interesting. Sorry to go on about this, but we don't know the developmental emergence of awe. But my hunch is babies start feeling awe really early in life, you know, which tells us it's fundamental. There are these YouTube videos that somebody directed me to called Babies in Tunnels. And when a little baby's in a car seat and they go into a tunnel and it becomes pitch black, <laughs> it's like existence is over, you know. And then when they come out of the tunnel, and you have to watch the videos. It's like, they're awestruck. They're vibrating. Like, oh, you know, so because there's life again. So I, I think it's as basic. It's so striking. It's as basic as fear or disgust or anger. You know, and Einstein said that this emotion is the fundamental human emotion that is a basic state of consciousness that gets to gets us to science and art. And I think I think the science is lending credence to that. I, I have to say, I don't think I've ever seen anyone look more awe-inspired than a baby 90% of the time. Yeah, you know, and why we haven't thought about that and studied that. And, and what that tells us is early in life, one of the things we've learned about awe is it's a, an engine or a catalyst of discovery and learning about the world. 
And early in life, awe is going to be there animating discoveries. And we need to figure that out and, and sort of look at that scientifically. So I'm curious, as someone who has dedicated much of your life to the study of emotion and, and awe in this sense, are there examples of awe-inspiring moments that stick out to you, whether they're your own or like people that you've interviewed or anything that you've studied? You know, thank you for asking that. I mean, I think, and our listeners can ask themselves the question, like, let me just think about some recent experiences of awe, you know, that I've had. And, you know, I think the ones that will seem intuitive are, oh, nature, being at a rock and roll concert, etc. So those are intuitive, but there are, are several that just struck me uh, in this work that are surprising. You know, and that's part of the reason we do this kind of science is to get beyond cultural stereotypes. I remember many years ago teaching, talking about awe, probably 10, 12 years ago, and this woman said, I remember feeling awe as my sister was passing away and I was holding her hand and we were all around her and we were thinking about her life. I felt her last breath in her body. And that is a human universal that is very surprising that we feel awe in grappling with the life cycle, birth and death. And, and they're around the world, people feel the wonders of awe at the mystery of, at the end of life. That surprised me and really stuck with me. The other one, you know, it's so interesting, is what I call everyday awe in the book. And it's this finding that we feel awe two to three times a week. It's there to cultivate you could find it. I got goosebumps a couple of times talking to you, Alex. It's embarrassing. And just hearing your questions and like, wow, that's so interesting. And I remember being in the UK on the tube and I was giving a talk at a bookstore and this gentleman said, you know, I just felt awe. You know, I was in the tube and it was busy and I made eye to eye contact with this woman and we just sort of recognized each other's humanity, right? In the daily flow of life. And I felt awe. And when you look at the neurophysiology of eye-to-eye contact, it's profound. It's, it activates vagus nerve, oxytocin, the sense of connection. So that tells us it's also there in these little moments that we often fail to see that are profound. So it's been one of the joys of studying this emotion is it opens us up to the existential forms of awe and then the everyday forms of awe. So to finish up, for people who are seeking out awe, they're trying to live a life that's more awe-inspiring in that sense. What are maybe you know a few tips that they can use to find more awe in their lives or ways they can seek that out? First of all, they can go to the Greater Good Science Center. We did an awe calendar, you know, just like finding awe a few days a week, you know, with little practices. But more generally, I think there are two things to be thinking about in our pursuit of awe. And one is the what we built into the instructions for the awe walk and other studies we've done, which is, it's like an awe mindset, just find a place that might be beautiful and awe-inspiring to you, you know, take and pause, and just pause, quiet down, settle into some deep breathing, and, and put away your phone and your checklists and your concepts and just and then think about, I, I love this perceptual orientation of orienting to vast things. Wow, I'm sitting by this garden and I look at this whole 
array of, of flowers and then look at small things, right? I'm going to look at one flower and look at its petals and its design. And that movement from vast to small brings us awe very often. Edmund Burke wrote a lot about it, the great Irish philosopher. So it's the awe mindset of pausing, quieting, and just looking for the vast and the small. And the second thing is to use those eight wonders that I write about in the book, which is, you know, think about a place in nature that brings you off. Go there regularly. I go to, when I walk to work, I always walk by this stream and I always pause even for just a minute and it brings me a little bit of awe. Think about music. Think about visual things that bring you off. Uh, quotes, big ideas, you know, and, and moral beauty. You know, just think about who are the people in my life that have really brought me tears or inspired me. So, you know, I am really excited. You know, we, we thought this emotion was just spiritual, ineffable. We can't find it in daily life. It's the opposite is true, right? And there are ways we can cultivate it to good effect. Thank you for listening to this episode of Instant Genius. That was Daka Keltner talking about awe. The Instant Genius podcast is brought to you by the team behind BBC Science Focus magazine, which you can find on sale now in supermarkets and newsagents, as well as on your preferred app store. Alternatively, you can come and find us online at sciencefocus.com. Thank you.